Welcome to Fast Asleep, listeners. Are you ready for a good night's sleep? Yes. Are you ready for an exceptional story? Oh, yes. And now, you're joining listeners from 14 other countries. We are so happy to have you all with us. Thank you. Now, recently we enjoyed a story from Algernon Blackwood, The Empty House. Oh, that was such a good one. His works are irresistible, so of course, we're bringing you another. In this season of uh, chills and delight, what do you say we tuck in and together decide what is about to be stolen in, in two parts? with intent to steal. To sleep in a lonely barn when the best bedrooms in the house were at our disposal seemed, well to say the least, unnecessary. And I felt that some explanation was due to our host. But Shorthouse? Hmm, familiar name. I soon discovered, had seen to all that. Our enterprise would be tolerated, not welcomed. For the master kept this sort of thing down with a firm hand. And then, how little I could get this man, Shorthouse, to tell me. There was much I wanted to ask and hear, but he surrounded himself with impossible barriers. It was ludicrous. He was surely asking a good deal of me. And yet he would give so little in return. And his reason, that it was for my good, may have been perfectly true, but did not bring me any comfort in its train. He gave me sops, step-by-step instructions, now and then, however, to keep up my curiosity, till I soon was aware that there were growing up inside of me, within me, genuine interest and an equally genuine fear and something of both these is probably necessary to all real excitement now the barn the barn in question was some distance from the house on the side of the stables and I had passed it on several of my journeyings to and fro wondering at its forlorn and untarred appearance under a regime where everything was so spick and span. But it never once occurred to me as possible that I should come to spend a night under its roof with the comparative stranger and undergo there an experience belonging to an order of things, well, I had always rather ridiculed and despised. At the moment, I can only partially recall the process by which Shorthouse persuaded me to lend him my company. Like myself, he was a guest in this autumn house party, and where there were so many to chatter and to chaff, I think his taciturnity of manner had appealed to me by contrast, and that I wished to repay something of what I owed. There was no doubt flattery in it as well, 
for he was more than twice my age, a man of amazingly wide experience, an explorer of all the world's corners where danger lurked, and most subtle flattery of all, by far the best shot in the whole party, our host included. At first, however, I held out a bit. But surely this story you tell, I said, has the parentage common to all such tales, a superstitious heart and an imaginative brain, and has grown now by frequent repetition into an authentic ghost story. Besides this head gardener of half a century ago, I added, seeing that he still went on cleaning his gun in silence. Who was he? And what pos positive information have you about him? Well, beyond the fact that he was found hanging from the rafters, dead. Well, he was no mere head gardener. This man who has passed as such, he replied without looking up, but a fellow of splendid education who used this curious disguise for his own purposes. Part of this barn, of which he always kept the key, was found to have been fitted up as a complete laboratory with anthener, an oven, alembic, types of beakers, and cucurbit, gourd plants, and other appliances some of which the master destroyed at once, and perhaps for the best, and which I've only been able to guess at. Oh, <laughs> black arts, I laughed. Hmm? Who knows, he rejoined quietly. The man undoubtedly possessed knowledge, dark knowledge, that was the most unusual and dangerous and I can discover no means by which he came to it, no ordinary means, that is, but I have found many facts in the case which point to the exercise of a most desperate and unscrupulous will. And the strange disappearances in the neighborhood, as well as the bones that were found buried in the kitchen garden, though they were never actually traced to him, well, they seem to be full of dreadful suggestion. <laughs> I laughed again, a little uncomfortably perhaps, and said, why, it reminded one of the story of Giles de Ray, Marichal, our officer general of France, who was said to have killed and tortured to death in a few years no less than 160 women and children for the purposes of necromancy. And who was executed for his crimes? At Nantes. But Shorthouse would not rise and only returned to his subject. His suicide seems to have been only just in time to escape arrest, he said. A magician of no higher order, then, I observed, skeptically. 
If suicide was his only way of evading the country police, hmm, well, the police of London and St. Petersburg, returned Shorthouse, for the headquarters of this pretty company was somewhere in Russia, and his apparatus all bore the marks of the most skillful foreign make. A Russian woman, then employed in the household, a governess or something, she vanished, too, about the same time. She was never caught. She was no doubt the cleverest of the lot. And remember, the object of this appalling group was not mere vulgar gain, but a kind of knowledge that called for the highest qualities of courage and intellect in the seekers. I admit I was impressed by the man's conviction of voice and manner, for there is something very compelling in the force of an earnest man's belief, though I still affected to sneer politely. But like most black magicians, the fellow only succeeded in compassing his own destruction and that of his tools and of escaping himself so that he might better accomplish his objects elsewhere and otherwise, said Shorthouse, giving, as he spoke, the most minute attention to the cleaning of the lock. Elsewhere and otherwise, I gasped, mm -hmm. as if the shell that he left hanging from the rafter in the barn in no way impeded the man's spirit from continuing his dreadful work under new conditions. He added quietly without noticing my interruption. The idea being that he sometimes revisits the garden and the barn, chiefly the barn. The barn, I exclaimed. Huh, for what purpose? Chiefly the barn, he finished as if he'd not heard me. That is, when there is anybody in it. Oh, I stared at him without speaking, for there was a wonder in me how he would add to this. When he wants fresh material, that is, he comes to steal from the living. Oh, fresh material, I repeated aghast. To steal from the living? Even then, in broad daylight, I was foolishly conscious of a creeping sensation at the roots of my hair, as if a cold breeze were passing over my skull. The strong vitality of the living is what this sort of creature is supposed to need most, he went on, imperturbably. And where he has worked and thought and where he has struggled before hmm, is the easiest place for him to get in. The former conditions are in some way more easily reconstructed. And then he stopped suddenly and devoted all of, it, all of his attention to the gun. It's difficult to explain, you know, rather, he added presently. And besides, it's much better that you should not know until afterwards. 
I made a noise that was the beginning of a score of questions and of as many sentences, but it got no further than a mere noise because Shorthouse, of course, stepped in again. Your skepticism, he added, is one of the qualities that induce me to ask you to spend the night there with me. In those days, he went on in response to my urging for more information, the families, the family here, were much abroad and often traveled for years at a time. Now this man was invaluable in their absence. His wonderful knowledge of horticulture kept the gardens, they were French, Italian, and English, in perfect order, and he had carte blanche in the matter of expense, and of course, selected all his own underlings. Now it was the sudden unexpected return of the master that surprised the amazing stories of the countryside before the fellow, with all his cleverness, had time to prepare or conceal. But is there no evidence, I mean, no more recent evidence to show that something is likely to happen if we sit up there? I asked, pressing him yet further. And I think to his liking, for it showed at least that I was interested. Has anything happened there lately, for instance? Shorthouse glanced up from the gun he was cleaning so assiduously, and the smoke from his pipe curled up into an odd twist between me and the black beard and sun-tanned face. The magnetism of his look and expression brought more sense of conviction to me than I had felt hitherto, and I realized that there had been a sudden little change in my attitude and that I was now much more inclined to go in for the adventure with him. And at least, I thought, with such a man, one would be safe in any emergency, for he is determined, resourceful, and to be depended upon. There's the point, he answered slowly, for there has apparently been a fresh outburst, an attack almost, it seems, quite recently. There is evidence, of course, and plenty of it, or I should not feel the interest I do feel, but... And he hesitated a moment, as though considering how much he ought to let me know. But the fact is that three men this summer, on separate occasions, have gone into that barn after nightfall and have all been accosted. Accosted? I repeated betrayed into the interruption by his choice of so singular a word, and one of the stable men, a recent arrival and quite ignorant of the whole story, who had to go in there late one night, saw a dark substance hanging down from one of the rafters. And when he climbed up, shaking all over to cut it down, for he said he felt sure it was a corpse, the knife passed through nothing but air. And he heard a sound up under the eaves as if someone were laughing. Yet while he slashed away and afterwards too, the thing went on swinging there 
before his eyes and turning slowly with its own weight, like a huge joint on a spit. The man declares, too, that it had a large bearded face and that the mouth was open and drawn down like the mouth of a hanged man. Well, can we question this fellow? He's gone, gave notice at once, but not before I had questioned him myself very closely. Well, then this was quite recent, I said, for I knew Shorthouse had not been in the house more than a week. Four days ago, he replied, but more than that, only three days ago, a couple of men were in there together in full daylight when one of them suddenly turned deadly faint. He said that he felt an overmastering impulse to hang himself. And he looked about for a rope and was furious when his companion tried to prevent him. But did he prevent him? Just in time. But not before he had clambered onto a beam. He was very violent. I had so much to say and ask that I could get nothing out in time, and Shorthouse went on again. I've had a sort of watching brief of this case, he said with a smile, whose real significance, however, escaped me at the time. And one of the most disagreeable features about it is the deliberate way the servants have invented excuses to go out to the place and always after dark. Some of them, who have no right to go there and no real occasion at all, have never been there in their lives before, probably, and now all of a sudden have shown the keenest desire and determination to go out there about dusk or soon after, and with the most paltry and foolish excuses in the world. Of course, he added, they've been prevented. But the desire, stronger than their superstitious dread, in which they cannot explain, is very curious. Oh, very, I admitted, feeling that my hair was beginning to stand up again. You see, he went on presently, it all points to volition. In fact, to deliberate arrangement it is no mere family ghost that goes with every ivied house in England of a certain age. It is something real and something, well, very malignant. He raised his face from the gun barrel and for the first time his eye caught mine in the fall. Yes. He was very much in earnest, and he also knew a great deal more than he meant to tell. It's worth tempting and fighting, I think, he said, but I want a companion with me. Are you game? His enthusiasm undoubtedly caught me, but I still wanted to hedge a bit. I'm very skeptical, I pleaded. 
all the better, he said, almost as if he said it to himself. You have the pluck. I have the knowledge. The knowledge? He looked around cautiously as if to make sure that there was no one within earshot. I've been in the place myself, he said in a lowered voice, quite lately. In fact, only three nights ago, I stared. But uh, I was obliged to come out. Still, I stared. Quickly, he added, significantly. Well, you've gone into the thing pretty thoroughly, was all I could find to say, for I had almost made up my mind to go with him and was not sure that I wanted to hear too much beforehand. He nodded. It's a bore, of course, but I must do everything thoroughly or not at all. Well, that's why you clean your own gun, I suppose. That's why, when there's any danger... I take as few chances as possible, he said, with the same enigmatical smile I had noticed before. And then he added with emphasis, and that is also why I ask you to keep me company now. Well, of course, the shaft went straight home and I gave my promise without further ado. Our preparations for the night, a couple of rugs and a flask of black coffee were not elaborate. <laughs> and I found no difficulty about 10 o'clock. Neither of us did. In absenting ourselves from the billiard room without attracting curiosity. Shorthouse met me by arrangement under the cedar on the back lawn and I at once realized with vividness what a difference there is between making plans in the daytime and carrying them out in the dark. One's common sense, at least in matters of this sort, is reduced to a minimum, and imagination, with all her attendant sprites, usurps the place of judgment. Two and two, mm-mm, no longer make four. They make a mystery, and the mystery loses no time in growing into a menace. In this particular case, however, my imagination did not find wings very readily, for I knew that my companion was the most unmovable of men, an unemotional, solid block of a man who would never lose his head, and in any conceivable state of affairs would always take the right as well as the strong course. So, my faith in the man gave me a false courage that was nevertheless very consoling at the time, and I looked forward to the night's adventure with a genuine appetite. Side by side and in silence, we followed the path that skirted the East Woods, as they were called, and then led across two hayfields and through another wood to the barn. Ah, the barn, which thus lay about half a mile from the lower farm. To the lower farm, indeed, it properly belonged, and this made us realize more clearly how very ingenious must have been the excuses of the hall servants, who, 
felt the desire to visit it. It had been raining during the late afternoon, and the trees were still dripping heavily on all sides. But the moment we left the second wood and came out into the open, we saw a clearing with the stars overhead, against which the barn outlined itself in a black, lugubrious shadow. Shorthouse led the way, still without a word, and we crawled in through a low door and seated ourselves in a soft heap of hay in the extreme corner. Now, he said, speaking for the first time, I'll show you inside the barn so that you may know where you are and what to do in case, well, anything happens. A match flared in the darkness, and with the help of two more that followed, I saw the interior of a lofty and somewhat rickety-looking barn erected upon a wall of gray stones that ran all round and extended to a height of perhaps four feet. Now above this masonry rose the wooden sides running up into the usual vaulted roof and supported by a double tier of massive oak rafters which stretched across from wall to wall and were intersected by occasional uprights. I felt as if we were inside the skeleton of some antediluvian monster whose huge black ribs completely enfolded us. Most of this, of course, only sketched itself in my eye in the uncertain light of all those flickering matches. And when I said I'd seen enough and the matches went out, we were at once enveloped in an atmosphere as densely black as anything that I had ever known. And the silence equaled the darkness. Hmm. We made ourselves comfortable and talked in low voices. The rugs, which were very large, covered our legs, and our shoulders sank into a really luxurious bed of softness. Yet neither of us apparently felt sleepy. I certainly didn't. And Shorthouse, dropping his customary brevity that fell a little short of gruffness, plunged into an easy run of talking. Well, that took the form after a time of personal reminiscences. This rapidly became a vivid narration of adventure and travel in far countries, and at any other time I should have allowed myself to become completely absorbed in what he told, but unfortunately I was never able for a single second to forget the real purpose of our enterprise, and consequently I felt all my senses more keenly on the alert than usual, and my attention accordingly more or less distracted. It was indeed a revelation to hear Shorthouse unbosom himself in this fashion, and to a young man it was, of course, doubly fascinating, but the little sounds that always punctuate even the deepest silence out of doors 
claimed some portion of my attention. And as the night grew on, I soon became aware that his tales seemed somewhat disconnected and abrupt, and that, well, in fact, I heard really only part of them. It was not so much that I actually heard other sounds, but that I expected to hear them. This was what stole the other half of my listening. There was neither wind nor rain to break the stillness, and certainly there was no physical presences in our neighborhood, for we were half a mile from the lower farm, and from the hall and stables, but we were at least a mile away. And yet, the stillness was continually broken, perhaps disturbed is a better word, and it was to these very remote, tiny disturbances that I felt compelled to devote at least half my listening faculties. From time to time, however, I made a remark or asked a question to show that I was listening and interested, but in a sense, my questions always seemed to bear in one direction and to make for one issue, namely my companion's previous experience in the barn. When he'd been obliged to come out quickly, Apparently, I could not help myself in the matter, for this was really the one consuming curiosity I had, and the fact that it was better for me not to know it, hmm, made me the keener to know it all, even the worst. Shorthouse realized this even better than I did. I could tell it by the way he dodged or wholly ignored my questions. And this subtle sympathy between us showed plainly enough had I been able, at the time, to reflect upon its meaning, that the nerves of both of us were in a very sensitive and, well, highly strung condition. Probably the complete confidence I felt in his ability to face whatever might happen, and the extent to which also I relied upon him for my own courage, prevented the exercise of my ordinary powers of reflection, while it left my senses free to a more than usual degree of activity. Things, things must have gone on in this way for a good, oh, hour or more, when I made the sudden discovery that there was something unusual in the conditions of our environment. This sounds a roundabout mode of expression, but I really know not how else to put it. The discovery almost rushed upon me. By rights, we were two men waiting in an alleged haunted barn for something to happen. And as two men who trusted one another implicitly, though for very different reasons, there should have been two minds keenly alert with the ordinary senses in active cooperation. Some slight degree of nervousness, too, there might also have been, but beyond this, nothing. It was therefore with some dismay that I made the sudden discovery 
there was something more and something that I ought to have noticed very much sooner than I actually did notice it. The fact was, Shorthouse's stream of talk was wholly unnatural. He was talking with a purpose. He did not wish to be cornered by my questions, true, but he had another and a deeper purpose still. And it grew upon me as an unpleasant deduction from my discovery that this strong, cynical, unemotional man by my side was talking and had been talking all this time to gain a particular end. And this end, I soon felt clearly, was to convince himself. But of what? For myself, as the hours wore on towards midnight, I was not anxious to find the answer. But in the end, it became impossible to avoid it. And I knew as I listened that he was pouring forth this steady stream of vivid reminiscences of travel, South Seas, big game, Russian exploration, women, adventures of all sorts, because he wished the past to reassert itself to the complete exclusion of the present. He was taking his precautions. He was afraid. Now, I felt a hundred things once this was clear to me, but none of them more than the wish to get up at once and leave the barn. If Shorthouse was afraid already, what in the world was to happen to me in the long hours that lay ahead? I only knew that in my fierce efforts to deny to myself the evidence of his partial collapse, the strength came that enabled me to play my part properly. And, well, I even found myself helping him by means of uh, animated remarks upon his stories and by more or less judicious questions. I also helped him by dismissing from my mind any desire to inquire into the truth of his former experience. And it was good I did so. For had he turned it loose on me with those great powers of convincing description that he had at his command, I verily believe that I should never have crawled from that barn alive. So, at least, I felt at that moment, well, it was the instinct of self-preservation, and it brought sound judgment. Here then, at least, with different motives, reached to by opposite ways, we were both agreed upon one thing, namely, that temporarily we would forget. Fools we were, for a dominant emotion is not so easily banished, and we were forever recurring to it in a hundred ways, direct and indirect. A real fear cannot be so easily trifled with, and while we toyed on the surface with 
thousands and thousands of words, mere words, our subconscious activities were steadily gaining force and would, before very long, have to be properly acknowledged. We could not get away from it. At last, when he had finished the recital of an adventure which brought him near enough to a horrible death, I admitted that in my uneventful life, I had never been face to face with a real fear. Okay, it slipped out inadvertently and of course without intention, but the tendency in him at the time was too strong to be resisted. He saw that loophole and he made for it full tilt. We'll stop right there for now. See you in the next episode.